Um, All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 28, so please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, last chapter of this gospel, and the title of this morning's message is Go Therefore, and it definitely is something to be joyful for, right? (laughs) Absolutely. This morning we are concluding the gospel of Matthew. Uh, We're covering the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also something very important, and that is the Great Commission that Jesus gave to His disciples. And by the way, as we look at the Great Commission, He gives to us today. As we've seen, Jesus' life was full of opposition from the time that He was born to the time of His death. And as we will see this morning, even after His death, in His burial, He experienced and He knew opposition. The enemy making every effort to discrediting and lessening his finished work and victory on the cross and victory over the grave. The enemy has been doing that since then and up until this point. But there is and was no man that could stop the Lord from making a way for him to be reconciled, for him being the reconciliation for us unto the Father. The sacrifice for you and I, the perfect and complete atonement for our sins. No man could stop the love of God from being demonstrated, even to the one opposing it all. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's what we need to understand, I believe, is regardless of all the opposition, regardless of any outside doubters, any haters, any just straight-up opposition, To the Lord, the kingdom of God will not be shaken. Period. Sometimes we lose a good full understanding of what really we're up against. What it is that we're fighting from. But Hebrews chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 says it very clearly. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's our God. That's who we worship. And the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. It it, it is, is sure. It is solid. It is not moving. It's not going anywhere. The gates of hell shall not prevail against even the bride of Christ, the church. This is what we have before us this morning as we consider Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection. We serve and worship a living God, and because we have come to know for ourselves the hope of heaven in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, we offer to God a worship that is acceptable, that is full of reverence, and I pray also filled with awe. Looking forward to the fulfillment of our faith, when we one day come to face, come face to face with our God, our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. Where our faith takes us and what it should translate into in everyday living is what we should come to understand. Sometimes we can gain all this, all this knowledge about God. We can debate like a theologian. We can have all the answers, and yet it 
it fails to translate into just everyday life. What, what, is, what is it supposed to look like? What, what is a Christian supposed to look like in everyday living? Applying the Word of God in, in a way that is wise and discerning to every circumstance that we face, our, uh, face in, in our daily lives. That's why, above all, what, you know, as, as I teach Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, what I seek above all is that you would come to a place of understanding the Word of God. Not that you would know about God. That's important. But that you would come to know God. And then how to apply His Word to His glory. And that's what I hope we see this morning. Because he says, go therefore. We need to understand what this means. And why we would give ourselves to the development of disciples, of each other, of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our study this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we know that it makes us wise. Lord, wise in a way that brings you glory. And so, Father, increase our faith, and we know that faith increases by the hearing of your word. And so I pray, Father, that you would not only increase our faith, but that you would give us understanding, that you would... Lord, teach us to apply it, Lord, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, even now, Lord, that um, it would be uh, not only uh, glorifying to you, but it would be a blessing to your people, Father. Help us also to understand your grace, your compassion, and your patience with, with each and every one of us. Lord, and if there's someone here that has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that that would be first and foremost for them that they would understand that love that you have demonstrated to all of us by sending your Son to die on the cross in our place so that we, we too would have the hope of eternal life with you. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Father. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. So let's take a look at Jesus' burial. And what we're going to see here is in his burial, we will also see an opposition come against him. So Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. And here comes the opposition right away. Verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, we're talking Sunday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, normally the bodies of the condemned men who were, sacri- who were uh, sacrificed, who were, who were crucified, were left for the birds of the air, for the animals to basically eat. And so it would just 
finish off the humiliation that they've already experienced up to that point. And yet this is not what took place, and that's according to Scripture. But it's at the time to where they were observing Passover. And so the Jews did not want the condemned bodies of those who were crucified to remain. And so they were taken down. Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave it to him. Uh, I know there are other details surrounding this particular situation. We're not going to get into those details because there's, there's more to it as far as the, what, what Matthew really attempts to communicate here through this gospel in particular. That's what we're going to take a look at. We do know, know that Joseph of Arimathea, he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was given the body. We know that Nicodemus helped uh, Joseph prepared the body of Jesus as best as they could, wrapped him in grave clothes, and laid Jesus in Joseph's tomb, rolling a great stone, which, which a great stone simply means it was big and it was heavy and it required the strength of several men to roll this stone in front of this tomb and make it secure so that no one could go in and no one could do anything with the body. And so... It was secure at that point. It would require, like I said, several men to roll that great stone away. Now, normally we understand um, that this stone would be laid in a groove. And so it, it would be, like I said, it would be very difficult for any one person to roll this stone away. Uh, it would require the strength of several men. Now, while this was being done... Mary Magdalene and, as we see here, the other Mary, sat down and, and they were across from... It, it'd be like sitting here and across the way in the little roadway here. Um, they were busy putting Jesus into the tomb and, and they were sitting here. They were watching the whole thing. They knew exactly where they were. They knew exactly where it was that Jesus was laid. And um, so they, they witnessed it all. But then... The next day, as we see here on Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees, well, they wanted to make sure that no one messed with Jesus' body. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees, they went and they asked that the stone would be sealed and that there would be a guard posted so that no one, they made sure absolutely no one could mess with the body of Christ that was in the tomb. They knew where he was at. And so this was done. I find it interesting that they were accusing Jesus of saying he was going to destroy the holy temple. You remember that? We, I mean, we go back some studies, and, and they were accusing him of destroying the temple. He, he said, oh, you know, this is not right, you know... Uh, he said that he's going to destroy the temple and in three days, you know, make it rise again. You know, that's ridiculous, right? Well, he wasn't talking about the holy temple. He was talking about his own body. And yet now it's very super clear, right? Oh, no, he, was, he meant his body. So which one is it? When you don't win in one way, you start trying a different way. That, that's what liars do. That's what people who are deceiving try and do. You, you go and you tell them the truth. And what happens is they change their story as they go along. Well, I didn't really mean that. I meant this. 
And this is what we see here with the Pharisees and the chief priests, the elders. We're going to see in a few moments how it was that they too were in on this as well. So I found that interesting. Those are some of the things that as you read through Scripture and, and you, you read through uh, a, a letter, a gospel, a book of the Bible, you take all that into account. Uh, you should read um, seeking to understand, taking everything into account. And then seeing how some things, you know, for some people such as these, they didn't match up. Boy, you were accusing him of something else earlier, and now you're saying you, you understand it fully? <laughs> no, you understood it, stood it fully back then. He was saying he was God. That's what he was saying, and you knew that. What is also interesting is their fear of the disciples parading around as if Jesus has risen without proof of a live person. You know what I mean? Like, so they were going to steal the body and they just weren't going to present the body of Jesus Christ and say that he was alive? Well, all you have to do is show me the dead body and then you prove that he, what, he didn't rise from the dead, right? So they were, they were fearful of that. They were concerned about that. So they went to Pilate and asked that the tomb be sealed and to have a guard of soldiers posted at the tomb so as to ensure that no one stole Jesus' body. And so Pilate agreed and gave them soldiers to use for this very purpose. So they had it sealed and they posted the soldiers. There is no way. There is no way the disciples could come and defeat the Roman guard. Just consider the group of disciples, the people, the men who made up these people. I'll just give you one name. Peter. What did he do with his, his little knife as he pulled it out in the Garden of Gethsemane? I will not. You missed. You hit his ear. It came off. Uh, you know, put that away. And Jesus put Malchus's ear back on right, and he healed him. At that very moment. That's the best you could do. This, this group of misfits right here. And you have this one guy with this knife that did that. And then you think that they could come against the Roman guard. And take them out. Uh, no. No, not at all. It'd be like. Like us going up, up against SEAL Team, team 6, right? It's like, it's just, it's not going to happen. This was the best. But the world brings about these absurdities. And this is the best they can come up with. Let's look at Jesus' resurrection because there's more opposition coming, even to this. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes, his clothing white as snow. Let's stop there. So Jesus' resurrection, these two ladies, um, the same ones, by the way, that were there on Friday and seeing where exactly Jesus was laid to rest, uh, were back on Sunday to finish the work of embalming Jesus' body. But they experienced something far different than what they had expected. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. They came expecting to find Jesus' body, and instead they felt this 
the, the earth moving. They see an angel of the Lord descend from heaven. Roll back the stone that covered Jesus' tomb. And then he, then he sat on that great stone. Just, I mean, just for a moment, just picture that in your mind. Right? What would you do? If at some moment you're not too far away, this is very, this is clear. Mary, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Mary? Yes, I think I am. Mary, you know what I mean? Because it's the two Marys. It would abs- it'd be amazing, right? In awe. I don't know if you could even speak. Like, it's wow. What is going on here? One thing that's not recorded here is that when this took place, they, they saw, they felt the earth move. It's an earthquake. Saw the angel descend, roll the stone away, sit down on the great stone. It's not recorded that they saw anyone come out. They didn't see anyone go in, take anyone out. None of that. Why is that? Because Jesus was no longer in there. Verse 4 says, And for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Now, we don't have here that the angel addressed the Roman soldiers. He didn't do that. He addressed these these women. The ones that were there to care for Jesus' body. And so, I, I can't skip over... We have to really um, see how it is that these, these rough, tough Roman soldiers trembled like little babies, right? And they fainted. They couldn't stand before this angel. Now keep in mind, this is only one angel. One angel. So obviously these angels that appear are mighty and strong. They're powerful sent by the Lord himself to address the situation and tell these ladies uh, their, their next step, right? But this one angel came and rolled the stone away, sat down, and these men just felt their hearts melted. They were filled with fear. They passed out. They fainted. That was it. They, they trembled. They were shaking in their armor. But the angel had come for the sake of Jesus' followers. The angel rolled the stone away so that these women could be shown the empty tomb. And then, once they witnessed that, then they could go tell the other disciples that Jesus had indeed risen from the grave, just as he said. He's not in there anymore. It's empty. He's out. 
We know that Jesus did not need a door to be opened in order to get to the other side of walls of certain rooms. For we know after his resurrection how it was that he appeared to the disciples uh, within a closed room. And so in his resurrected body, he he didn't need someone to open up the door for him. Roll away a great stone. He's able to and was able to to go through. Again, I remind you that the great stone was rolled away so that the same women who saw where Jesus had been laid could see that he was no longer there. That was the whole point. In verse 7, as we continue, it says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, the angel is still speaking here, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they, de- they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Let's stop there for a moment. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing that word of Jesus' resurrection was first given to these women? I love that. It wasn't to anyone else. It wasn't to some gifted men. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the most effective people are the ones who are just gifted with uh, the ability to speak and are so eloquent and clear in what they communicate. Uh, No. No. In fact, I've seen how it is that a lot of men and women who are so eloquent of speech, who have the gift of persuasion, who are very charismatic, are the very ones who are used, oftentimes, unfortunately, to bring across a perverted version for their gain and not for the sake of the gospel. No. We need to be reminded that the Word of God tells us that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Well, why is that? Why is that? You know, it's like, okay, so, well, that's not very, you know, appealing or, you know, that's not very encouraging to me, right? No, it's not. And that's okay. That's really okay because God prefers humility, not pride. He, he prefers humility because He uses the foolish things, those things that I would have never guessed, I would have never known. And the things that come out of the person who truly understands salvation, forgiveness of sins, how God's grace, how does that person can simply say a few words and really help someone else understand, wow, if God can save you, if God can do that in your life, I I know that he can definitely do it in my life. That's what he prefers over everything else. But I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful that these were the people who were first told about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not amazingly gifted men who could eloquently explain the scriptures to others and reason as to why Jesus resurrected from the grave. I want to explain to you. No, it was the simple testimony that they were entrusted with of what they saw and what they heard and what they now know to be certain. Sometimes we hold back from telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Why? Because, well, I just don't have like the, the whole spiel down. What, what spiel? What, what spiel were you referring to? 
why don't you just tell them about what you know? You, you have been forgiven of your sins by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's weird. I don't have the desires I once had before. Not that I don't battle, right? But now I have this desire to to bless and please God. It's amazing how it is that I have a desire for God's word and to just like understand him. I want to get to know him more. I have this this desire. Why is that? Because you've been saved. Because you have the spirit of God indwelling you. You, you. You no longer find appealing the things of the world like you once did. You're, you're dead to the world and alive in Christ, to Him, for His glory. That's it. That's it. I'm just, I'm alive in Christ. I'm a new creature. Completely new. I, I can't explain to you how that happened, other than by God's grace. There's the spiel, right? You can learn Romans Road, yeah. You can go through all of that, and you can explain it to them. But he, he, sometimes even in that, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they'll agree with you, absolutely. And, and maybe they'll pray a little prayer. But is, is that always what's going to get someone? No, it's just your own testimony. Uh, Mary, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I was told. And that's it, period. A testimony of a truly converted heart. That's what's impactful. That's what's powerful. It's powerful. This is why your testimony is powerful enough when you simply tell others what you've come to know in Jesus Christ. I was once a sinner condemned to eternal hell, and now I know forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven by His grace. These women were simply shown an empty tomb and then told to go tell His disciples, Jesus' disciples, that Jesus would meet them in Galilee and they were filled with fear and great joy. And what did they do? They ran. They ran. Fear filled them. Great joy filled them. Go tell his disciples, we're, we're gone. They were gone. And then verse 9 tells us, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The women left at once. And on their way to go tell the disciples, they were met by Jesus himself on the road. As soon as they took off, they were filled with fear and and great joy. And they ran, and they ran right into Jesus. Jesus appeared to them. Not only were they shown the tomb where they saw Jesus' body be placed, but now they see the risen Christ. Please keep in mind that these were the women who witnessed Jesus crucified as well. And now He's before them. He is alive. We saw you crucified. We, We saw you. Give your last breath. We saw you. Be buried. We saw the empty tomb. And now we see you before us. Alive. And Jesus said, greetings. I know some of your translations, if you have the New King James, I believe it says rejoice, right? Rejoice. But either way, the word that was spoken there 
is a simple and common greeting of hello. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Because Jesus shows up. Here's the resurrected Savior. And the word he uses in our day today, that'd be like him appearing and saying, hi. Right? It's like, wow, that was it. Yeah, that, that, that was all he told me. Hi. Hello. And at that very moment, they didn't speak a word. They fell down, clung to him, and worshipped him. You cannot cling to a spirit. But they clung to their risen Savior. And they spared no worship. Just as they immediately began to run, filled with great fear and joy, they ran. They were going to tell the disciples. They, they had already, they believed. Yes, oh, I believe. We're going to go tell them. We're, and then they, hi. And, oh, you know, down on the ground, clinging. Lord, you know, worshiping Him. They didn't waste a moment. Not a moment to do anything else. No questions. No questions at all. Just worship. That's it. Just falling down at His feet and worshiping. You are the risen Lord. You are here before us. Talk about being filled with awe. And Jesus simply told him at that moment to not fear. And go. Go do what the angel told you to do. Tell the others. Tell tell my brothers. Tell my brothers. First time that's used. Tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. That's where I'll meet them. There they will see me. Just just as you, you are seeing me right now. Tell them to go there and they will see me there as well. Jesus met the women on the road as they acted on the word they received. And Jesus said he will meet his disciples in Galilee also according to his word. They did. They did, but there was opposition to the report that has now been given to the chief priests and the elders. I want to stop for a moment there and really think about what's happening This is an eyewitness account by these two ladies. And and it was given, uh, you know, the message was given to them to pass along to the disciples. It was a word of God. And now they were going quickly to go tell the other disciples. And on the way, there's Jesus. He's alive and well. And here we continue. You know, the, the Lord is alive today. And His Word still comes to us. What do we do when we receive the Word of God? Are we filled with great fear and joy? And do we quickly respond to His Word? Really, that's one of the things that we need to come to often. You know, how is it? You know, I've said it before how it is that someone had told me this years ago, and and I do believe it to be true. How it is that delayed obedience is disobedience. It is. You know, we don't have to look very far. If you have kids, you know, you tell them, clean your room. Right? I will. Come back later. Hmm. Clean your room. 
I will. A little bit later, clean your room. I will. Why are you getting on me? You're always on me. Oh, my life is miserable, right? I just said clean your room. (laughs) Clean your room, man. (laughs) Right? What is that, really, in the end? Disobedience. You know, we, we come to understand the Word of God if we truly have great fear for the Lord, if we have joy in Him, if we're governed by Him, then we take that and we're not like that child, right? It's like later, 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 later. Well, when's later? You know? You know, I, I say jokingly, you know, why do today what you can leave for tomorrow? Um, did you guys catch that one? You guys all right? Should we stand and greet one another again? <laughs> right? So that, it's, it's disobedience, isn't it? It is. But these ladies, they weren't disobedient. They immediately rose to their feet and they left. Some things to just catch along the way. Catch along the way. Now, here's the big lie. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Notice they didn't go to uh, Pontius Pilate or to um, their commanders. <laughs> they, went, they went to uh, the chief priests. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said... Uh, tell people, uh, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Uh, the chief priests and the elders, well, what, what do they do? It's very simple. They bribe the soldiers. That's with a large sum of money. You know, we don't, don't need to break that down, right? Like here's a, here's a a bag full of money and they're like two, how about three? <laughs> now we're talking. It's coming in clearly here, you know. And it's like maybe one more. It, it was a large sum of money that was given to them, and it was a bribe. They bought them. That's what it was. If people ask, just tell them, hey, listen, we all fell asleep, and while we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus, and they took it away. Really? Yeah, that was, that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. And by the way, if Pilate or any of the other Roman officials, if they have a problem with this, then they're gonna deal, they'll deal with them. Probably the same way here. You know, money or, hey, listen, we'll make sure that the people are you know, peaceful and they, they don't come up against you at all. So the question is, so all the Roman soldiers fell asleep? So not one woke up with the great stone that was being rolled away by the disciples? Nothing like that. Remember, it was sealed at that point. It was a great stone that required several men to roll it away. No, none of them. They were sound asleep. So they all at the same time knew that, that Jesus, that his disciples stole his body, even though they were asleep? There are all kinds of theories as to Jesus and his resurrection. 
Some say he never died, but only appeared to have died. But the disciples had nursed him back to health after having brought him down from the cross and stolen him from the tomb. It's a swoon theory, right? There, there are others. There's a magazine article that I read about. and says this, Dear Eutychus, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely, bewildered. Dear Bewildered, Beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Sincerely, Eutychus. Uh, yeah, he was, he was dead. It takes more faith to believe these lies than to believe the power of God and the testimony of so many people in life and death, by the way of these people who knew firsthand what had actually taken place. Um, no one will die for a lie. I, I, won't, I won't die for a lie. There's absolutely no way. And all these people, they, they gave their lives for that which they knew to be true. These Roman soldiers would be put to death if they failed in the mission they were ordered to fulfill, especially having fallen asleep. You fell asleep on duty? I mean, I know what it is to fall asleep. Well, not personally, but I know <laughs> what would happen if you were on watch and you fell asleep and allowed the enemy, especially if you allowed the enemy to come through. Being, having been in the Navy myself, I, I know I was very well aware. It was explained very well. It was clear, right? And these Roman soldiers, they knew that. If they were to have fallen asleep and allowed this to happen, in reality, they would be put to death. Just like, no, no questions asked. Just, this is it. So this is all opposition. All opposition of the world. We still see it today. That's why it shouldn't surprise us when the world is trying to explain away the, the Bible. Let, let's not be surprised about it. And also, don't be taken by some of these theories Oh, yeah, the way they crossed the Red Sea was because there was a sandbar and the wind just completely took the, the water away and, they, and they, they, the Israelites walked across the Red Sea to the other side. Oh, and then the Egyptian army drowned in two inches of water. That would be amazing, right? That, don't, don't fall for all of that. Look to the Bible itself. Let's see what happens here as we close. Now, the, the 11 disciples, verse 16, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, Son, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. The disciples were told what the angel and Jesus said, and they went to the place in Galilee. And they too, like the women, when they saw Jesus, worshipped him. But just notice with me what happens. We have some who worshipped him and others who still doubted? Jesus. 
Jesus, right? You were with us for all these years. Yep, that's me. And some still doubted. Unbelief. This can't be true. Can this be true? Is it true? Is it really you? You've got to really understand the situation, too. I mean, this is Jesus. For any of us, it would be like it would be surreal, wouldn't it be? You're here. I know you were crucified. They told us you were alive, and you're alive. Wow. At Jesus appearing, what were they feeling? I'm sure a flood of emotions overwhelmed them, conflicted. It was something no one else has ever experienced except for the women who had come face to face with Jesus. Please note that they did see him, and Jesus did receive worship from both the women and now these men. Only God receives worship. The person who receives worship is is committing blasphemy if he does receive it. For no one but God is God. Jesus is God. You know, sometimes we give each other a hard time for doubting. We're not fully understanding, grasping. That, that's part of what I was, said, was saying earlier in Christianity, how it is that like, to come together, really just know that we're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. Um, we're all in different places as far as our understanding of God's Word. Some are just starting out. Others are far advanced. Those of you who are far advanced and really understand the Word of God well, really you should be pouring into the younger Christians and helping them understand the Word of God. And apply it to their lives, to God's glory and to their benefit. That's really for us to do, to come together as a family and be patient with each other. Please note that even though there were some who did doubt among the disciples, Jesus still commissioned them. He still commanded them. And he told them all. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He said it to all of them. He didn't like, okay, so uh, Thomas, I know, you know, you're doubting still. He, so you're off to the side. I'm going to speak to these guys right here. He didn't do that. He He spoke to all of them, commissioned them all, gave them this command right here. And what Jesus is saying is that I have all authority. I have authority, by the way. It's it's like someone who, uh, well, we're talking about military today, right? It's Veterans Day. Uh, Tom, you were enlisted, right? So if an officer would come, he could remind you of his authority and give you a command. And it was your duty to follow that command, right? Yeah. So that is how Jesus came to them. He says, hey, all authority in heaven on earth. Just I have full, complete authority to give you this command. You are my disciples. Go. And he, he had the authority to do this. He commanded it. It wasn't, it wasn't the great suggestion. You know, I, I really wish you guys would come together and really be united. And Thomas, quit doubting. And then, you know, you guys... You know, it wasn't like that. He had authority. He commanded them. What was their commission? Go. 
No, we can just stop with go, right? Some of us are just... I know, go make disciples, but, you know, we, we, we miss the go. It's like, well, where do you want me to go? Just go. Just move. Just, just do something. Right? Go. And he says, make disciples of everyone. Of who? Of, of all nations. In other words, all peoples. There, there is no discrimination. Yeah, the same Jew, Gentile, uh, man, woman, it doesn't matter. You go and make disciples of all the nations. And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, also, teach them to live according to God's Word. Teach them all that I have commanded you. So teach them how to live a life that is godly. And he tells them, you will not be alone because the Lord is with you all the way to the end. All the way to, He's faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's with you all the way through. Where our faith takes us and what it should translate into in everyday living is what we should come to understand and I hoped we would see this morning. Go therefore. What does it mean and why should we give ourselves to the discipleship of each other? This is really what it comes down to. This is the Great Commission. This is something we should all be doing. Not just some of us, not just those who are selected as like, okay, so he's my ministry leader, or she's my... No, it's, it's all of us. This commission, this command was given to all the disciples, not just some. Why should we be given to making disciples, teaching others, stirring each other up to loving good works? Because we glorify God by teaching others what God's word is, helping them get understanding how it serves as Godly wisdom in every aspect of life, every circumstance that we're faced with, and reminds each and every one of us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Purpose. You want to know about you want you want to know the purpose of life? Get into God's Word. Know it in Him. You want to know the meaning? It's in the Word. You want to know eternal joy? It's found in forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There is salvation, and then there is a daily living in response to that salvation that a, a, a person should come to know. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a proper response to the salvation that we have come to know. But we need to know how to, how do we do that? But how would we know how to present ourselves before God in an acceptable manner and thus our lives serving as a, as a form of worship unto the Lord Himself that we have come to profess belief in and follow? How, how, how do we know that? I've, I'm still learning. I will learn until the day I go home to be with the Lord. How is it that I apply God's word to my life. And, and I thank God for those of you who have come alongside and also have served to explain it to me. We wouldn't know unless we were taught the word of God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But why live a life of response to salvation like this? Why can't we just celebrate salvation and live like we want? 
we, we know salvation, right? Well, read, read through Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's a great answer to that question. Why? Because we're living in response to the love that we were first shown to us. The sacrifice, the eternal life, the hope of God's glory for all eternity. And also because in Christ we learn that we don't have the same desires as I said earlier. The old man has been crucified with Christ. We have desires of blessing and worshiping God. That's the, the, the new life we have in Christ. So then we as believers desire to bless God as we have seen and tasted how good God is and desire others to also come to know salvation and also see and taste how good God is. Don't you want others to, to know that? Like, I, I want you to know that. I want you to have that hope. I want you to know purpose in your life. I want you to, to know, hey, listen, this, this life, I know we're going to experience some troubles and all of that, it, some good and some bad and all of that. But at some point, this isn't it. Our hope lies beyond this world, beyond this life, for all eternity in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. He's our hope. If you know salvation... If you know God's grace and goodness and forgiveness, if you have the joy of the Lord, then go therefore and help others understand and know the same thing you do. Help them live life with understanding and godly wisdom and the hope of heaven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ who died, rose from the grave, and has ascended to heaven and one day is coming back for his bride, the church, you and I. Oh, what a glorious day. May he come soon. And so I pray that not only would you grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but that also you would pass that along to others. You would just testify of his goodness, his forgiveness, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And see others come, see others come into the family of God and rejoice and worship him together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you first demonstrated to us. We thank you that you sent your son, not just to die on the cross, having victory over our sin, but also uh, to, to be resurrected from the grave, having victory over the grave. And for us in Christ, we have new lives. We have the hope of heaven. And Lord, we can le- live these lives with great purpose unto you. And so we thank you, Father, for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.